Hi there. Thanks for tuning in to the Res Life Big Rapids podcast. We're glad you found us, and we hope this message helps shape you into something that looks like Christ. Now let's listen in. Now you guys feel my pain. That's every single day when I wake up in the morning, about two hours after I get out of bed, I get a text. Oh, darn, it's 80 here today. So that's what my last week has been. Pastor Ross did have a chance to get away. It's so nice to see them getting refreshed and getting a chance to be together as a family and just relax. So I get a chance to, to bring the word this morning. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we celebrated Easter. We serve a risen Savior. Amen. Amen. That means we have the power to live in an abundant life because of him. Amen. So last week, Pastor Chris brought you a message about heaven because I appreciate that message so much because we get so tied up with trying to do what God wants us to on this earth that we forget our ultimate goal is to be in heaven with him. When he returns, we get to go stay with him. Amen. So this week, I want to talk to you a little bit about what Jesus said when, uh, in, the, in the scripture about what it was like to follow him, what we need to do to follow him. Because we know that in the scripture, we're told to be like Christ. We're supposed to act like Christ. We're supposed to strive to be exactly like Jesus. He is our savior. He's our example. So I want to start out in Mark 8, 34 through 38. And it says, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples. And I'm going to stop real quick to point something out there. I find it really interesting. And I, I really look at a piece of scripture that goes different from what we're normally used to hearing. And, and that's one of those little tidbits that, that I find really important is that Jesus a lot of times took his disciples off to the side and he was teaching his disciples to make sure that they knew what he was trying to get at and he would pull them out from the crowd or he would just have them together. Well, we see here that he made a specific call to the crowd, bring the crowd and the disciples together. And I think it's very important because I want you to realize that we can be in the company of disciples and still not be a follower of Jesus. We can be in a church and in this setting right here, sitting next to people and hearing about God and still not be a disciple. And it's important to remember that. And it's important to, that we look at that before I get in. But I'm going to finish the scripture. It says, he goes on to say, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? And what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Let's pray. Lord, we just praise you for your, for your word and, and just the way you lay it out for us. And we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will do the speaking today through me. Lord, not my words, but your words will be spoken to each individual heart, Lord, we pray. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. You know, the first thing that Jesus said there was deny self. And there's a quote, Eugene H. Peterson said this. He said, the kingdom of self is heavily defended territory. I'll repeat that. The kingdom of self is heavily, heavily 
defended territory. Meaning it's always been a lot easier for us to fix somebody else's problem than it is to fix our own. It's always easier to look at the world and fix the world's problems. But it's really difficult for us to fix our own. A lot of times we don't see our own problems because it's heavily defended territory. We don't like opening up and looking at ourselves and seeing what we have to work on. It's heavily defended territory. We would rather solve the world's problems than our own. And I think that's why Jesus said, you know, to take the log out of our own eye so that we could see clearly to take the speck out of our brother's. And then Paul goes on to say in Ephesians 4, through 24, he said, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So not let alone it's heavily guarded territory, but it's deceitful. Our desires are deceitful. They want to take and trip us up and have us go awry from what God wants us to do. So not let alone we have a problem pulling it back and seeing it, but yet Satan's right there, and he's helping be deceitful, just like he was with Eve in the garden. It started way back then, and he's still doing it today. He doesn't want us to follow God wholly. So he's going to make our deceitful desires. And our desires are nothing more than appetites. Appetites of what the world and our culture wants us to believe are right. So I want to talk a little bit about appetites today. I'm going to talk about three appetites I see in the world. We're going to just kind of discuss them, but I want to set the stage for this first one. There's always good appetites, and sometimes when we replace and allow our appetites to become our God, it's not good. So how many people are married out here? Okay. So this first appetite should go over pretty good. Sex is good. Come on. That's the same response I had in the first service. If you're married in a good marriage and a husband and wife out here, you should be saying, amen, brother. Sex is good. You know what was the funny thing? Tammy was telling me last service, a couple walked in the door, and as soon as they walked in the door, I hollered out, sex is good. And it portrayed out in the foyer and they were like (laughs) so it's kind of funny but sex is good if we're in a marriage God gave us man and woman and gave us sex and it's good it's a good appetite but sex makes a horrible God sex makes a horrible God if we start looking for affirmation for somebody to think we're beautiful and that we're special in sex outside of a marriage makes a horrible God. If we start looking for confirmation that I'm wanted, that I'm accepted, sex makes a horrible God. If we start looking for our identity with sex outside of a marriage so that I'm worth something, sex is a horrible God. That's God's job. God's the one that tells us we're worth something. That's God's job. So when we start making that opposite and allowing our appetites to become our God, they make a horrible God. Let's try another one. Let's see if this one works out better for you guys. Food is good. Amen. Yeah, okay, good. Yeah, that works. Food is good. There's no doubt it's good. 
You know, I have a saying, I work out so I can eat more. Amen. Amen. There you go. Some people work out to get in shape. I just work out to eat more because I love food. Food tastes good. One thing I really like is ice cream, and the best flavor in the world is peanut butter ice cream. I love ice cream. There you go. All right. Absolutely. You know, I I ride my bike in the summertime. I like to get out, and I'll ride 20, 25 miles at a time on my pedal bike. But there has to be one thing on my route. I have to go buy an ice cream place. And I stop and I get ice cream and I get back on my bike and I go. And people tell me, Paul, that's, that goes against what you're doing. I said, no, you don't understand. That goes for what I'm doing. If I ride my bike, I can eat more ice cream. It works out better that way. When I was working in my previous job, I was flying around and I'd travel throughout the year and we'd fly into different airports and, and I, the person that I traveled with all the time, we'd get in our rental car and he'd start hitting his phone looking for Starbucks and I'd start hitting my phone looking for Cold Stone. You know, that's how much I like ice cream. You know, ice cream's good. Food is good. But food makes a horrible God. When we start eating to self-medicate, it makes a horrible God. When we eat to heal hurts, when we eat to get rid of pain because someone has said or done something to us, eating food makes a horrible God. When we eat to find comfort, that's God's job. That's God's job. Let God be God and let our appetites be our appetites. Food makes a horrible God. Third one I want to look at is cards, playing cards. Playing cards are good. My grandmother, if you lived in her house, she told me at a young age that the the devil made those playing cards. And I was trying to figure out at a young age how the devil was walking on earth in a factory making playing cards. But that's what she told me. The devil made those. But playing cards are good. I can remember growing up in a household, my mom and dad, on a Friday and Saturday night, there'd be two, three couples sitting around their car, their kitchen table, and they'd be card, playing cards, and there'd be a lot of laughter, a lot of fellowship, a lot of good times going on playing cards. A couple weeks ago, I went to Cincinnati, and I have granddaughters. Some of you say, no grandsons, but granddaughters. And Maddie, my youngest granddaughter in Cincinnati, we broke out the Uno cards and we're all sitting around the table. And I played a draw four and I'm going, Maddie, you have to draw four. And she said, "Uh uh-uh, Papa, you have to draw them because you played it. (laughs) There was not one way in the world I could convince that six-year-old, so I just drew my cards. (laughs) But cards are good because they make great memories. They're great for fellowship. But cards and gambling... Make a horrible God. Make a horrible God. When we start looking to cards and gambling to provide for us, that's a horrible God. When we start looking for cards and gambling for happiness or to fulfill us, it makes a horrible God. That's what God's job is. He's the one who provides for us. He's the one who gives us our happiness, and he is the one that fulfills us. So we can do three things with our appetite. We can let it control us, like we've just been talking about. We can suppress it. At that same grandmother's house, my dad was telling me he'd get home from Sunday morning service, and he knew the routine. He would go in, he would eat dinner, he would go into his bedroom, he would lay on his bed with his hands crossed, and he would twiddle his fingers and thumbs looking at the ceiling because anything else on a Sunday was a sin. She suppressed it. 
She suppressed the appetites. For hundreds and hundreds of years, people have been trying to suppress their appetites by taking moving out away from everybody into a desert or out into the woods, not looking at media, not looking at hearing from the radio, not reading anything because they might see something. If you're having fun, you're sinning. Let's just suppress everything. How many people think that worked very good? I don't think either. So that brings us to the last one. We can align our appetites with God. We can let God be God and align our appetites with God. So sex is good. Inside the confines of a marriage with a man and woman, a husband and wife, not outside it. Food is good when we use it to sustain and build our strength. Cards are great when we're making memories with our family. We're allowing our appetite to have fun and not be our God. All of these things can be great when we align them with God. Ministry can be your God. I'm just going to throw that out. You know, sometimes we identify ourselves for what we're doing for God instead of just loving God. Ministry can be your God. That's just as bad. It makes an awful God. Hunting, fishing, playing golf, shooting guns, anything like that can become our God instead of just being an appetite. Now, when I was reading this and preparing this message, I'm going, yep, I did that. That was a God at one time. Oh, yep, that one was a God at one time. But the Lord started speaking in my heart and told me to get those in line, that they were appetites and that he was God. And that if I outlined my appetites with him, Everything's going to be pretty good. Everything's going to be real good. So the second thing I seen in that scripture that Jesus said, he said, take up your cross. You know, I started reading and thinking about that and praying about it. And Jesus saying, take up your cross. We knew a couple things of the Romans. The Romans had an incredible talent for killing people. Incredible talent. They killed people in more different ways than I've ever even imagined when I started reading about it. But one of them was crucifixion. And you know, if you were Roman, you couldn't be crucified. So if they didn't, if they, if they wanted to crucify you and you were Roman, they would just excommunicate you out of the Romans and then they would crucify you. But it was a brutal death. Not let alone did they put you on a cross and crucify you, but they beat you within an inch of, a, of your life before they made you carry your cross to the place you were going to be crucified. They humiliated you. They were good at what they did. They were really good at causing pain and horrible deaths. You know, I started thinking about it. We know that the cross represents the death. And that Jesus was saying, take up your cross, meaning die daily to our appetites. And sometimes we have to die daily and give them to God every single day until we get the better, until we get over that. But the other thing I was thinking about was, you know, I got thinking, Jesus was in that time. He knew what crucifixion was. He knew what the Romans did. He would have been very in tune with how crucifixion worked and how brutal that death was. And I got thinking while I was praying, do you suppose maybe Jesus knew how brutal of a death it's going to be for some of us to put self aside. How hard 
does it take sometimes for us to give our appetites up and not allow our appetites to become God and allow God to be God and how brutal that's going to be. I'm just wondering if Jesus didn't have some of that in his mind going, that's going to be brutal for some people. You know, but when we get the victory, you guys notice the word I use there? When. When we get the victory, it's an awesome thing. When we get that victory, we live the abundant life that God promises us. When we get that victory, we get to see that, that place that Pastor Chris brought up. I loved and I so appreciated her message because she reminded us that when we get that victory, that's our final resting spot. That was awesome. My grandmother referred to it as the blessed hope. And in Titus 2, 11 through 13, it states it. It says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for that blessed hope, while we wait for that blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So that's the victory, waiting for our blessed hope the final day when we'll spend it in eternity with him. The last thing Jesus said was, follow me. And if I wanted to do an exercise today, say to you guys, okay, I drive a silver, a silver Chevy pickup, and it's parked out back. I'm going to walk out after this service, and I'm going to get in my truck. And I want you guys just to walk out, get in your vehicles, and I want you to follow me. I just follow me, okay? Now, some of you guys may go, well, Pastor Paul's not going to lead us anywhere dangerous. He's not going to lead us anywhere that I shouldn't be going. But I can guarantee you before I got to the front door, somebody would be hollering out, where are we going to go? Where are you leading us? <laughs> I agree. Yeah, okay. Somebody knows me out there. In Hebrews 10 through 10, 7, Jesus put it this way. He said, then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. Jesus didn't say, why? Jesus didn't say, where? Jesus said, I come to do my Father's will. Plain, simple, done. I come to do my Father's will. So the question today, one of the questions would be, have you just followed God when he spoke to your heart without asking why, when, where, what's going on? Just to follow him. About nine years ago, Tina and I were, were in a church, and Grant, we'd been in the church for 18 years, and... and um, unbeknownst to me and unbeknownst to her, but the Lord started speaking to our hearts individually and um, started speaking to my heart. And he said, Paul, I want you to leave the church. I want you to leave that church. And, and I'm like, Lord, um, why? And he said, because I told you. So I wrestled with it. Tina was wrestling with it. I didn't know she was wrestling with it. And it was, went on for a month or so, and we were sitting at the kitchen table. I can remember where we were sitting. I can't remember whether it was breakfast or, or dinner. But we were sitting there, and we got talking about it, and I shared with her. I said, Tina, I just feel that the Lord's telling us to, to leave Grant Wesleyan. 
This is a church we'd been in for 18 years. This is a church that I was saved in. This is a church where we did everything with these people. We raised our kids with them. We hung out, hung out with them. Went out to eat with them. We did everything with this church. And the Lord said, I want you to leave. And when I said something to Tina, she said, the Lord's been speaking to my heart the same identical thing. I said, oh, yeah, did he tell you why? She said, uh-uh. <laughs> nope. Nope. Didn't tell me why. So we set out on that path. We said, if that's what the Lord wants us to do, that's what he wants us to do. So started praying, Lord, where do you want us to go? He said, I want you to go to Big Rapids Res Life. And I went, wait a minute, that's not even in my denomination. I said, that's way out of the whack. We're in Nuevo. There's a Res Life in, in Nuevo. He said, nope. I want you up in Big Rapids. My sister was up here. I said, okay, Lord, that's where we go. So we left the church after 18 years, left all our friends, everything. When I turned the corner down here at 13 Mile on to 215th Street that morning, coming over, I honestly almost pulled the car over because I was so sick to my stomach. I was so nauseated and scared to death of what, why, what, when. If you guys don't know me, you can ask Joey or Pastor Keith, Pastor Chris, and Ross will know. I'm a little bit of a control freak. I like to know what's happening, when it's happening, where it's happening, what time. And I'm not talking about today, I'm talking six months down the line. I like to have control. But in this situation, I had no control. He said, go. We come in. We sat down the first morning, was in the message. And kind of like hindsight's twenty twenty now. If we wouldn't have been faithful to just go, my life wouldn't have changed. The blessings that I've had, the blessings that God has given me, the blessings that he's done in the last nine years wouldn't have happened. You know, he took somebody who hated change and he moved me from a, a position in a job that I'd had for 20 years. And then <laughs> he said, sell your house and move up here. And we sold our house. I'd never moved in my life hardly. But he blessed us with immense blessings, which is you guys. He blessed me with being able to quit my job and do something full-time that was my passion. And that's tell people about Christ and help people. He blessed me with an immense opportunity in my life to grow deeper and deeper with him. You see, I didn't have an opportunity or I didn't, I didn't, it's not that I didn't want to ask why, when, or where. But in this particular situation, he just said, go. And I was obedient. And I went. And it changed my life. So the question today, in closing, you tell Pastor Ross, too, I got you out of here early. So have you ever just done something because God was asking you to do it? Without asking anything at all without knowing anything at all, have you ever just done what he's asked you to do?
Today, as we close, I want to do something a little bit different. Every week, we give people a chance to, come, to raise their hand and accept salvation and to accept God as their Savior. This week, I want you to do something. If you want to accept Christ as your Savior, by all means, I want that to happen this morning. If that's what God's speaking to your heart about this morning, after the service, I'd like you to come up here, and I want to pray with you individually for that because it's important. But also, when I was preparing this message, the Lord asked me, he said, I want you to, to offer up a prayer for people this morning. So what I'm going to ask you guys to do in a minute is, is bow your heads, close your eyes, and we're going to pray. But I'm going to ask you, if, if you're dealing with appetites that are becoming your God, I'd like you to raise your hand at that time, not because I'm going to point you out, but because during the week, I want to know who I'm praying for. And I want to pray for you right now also in the service because that is a battle. And we've got to let God be God and allow him to control our appetites. So let's, close, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. So if you're here this morning and, and the message has spoke to your heart and, and you want me to pray for you throughout the week for your appetites to come in line with God. If you're having a hard time keeping your appetites in line with God and your desires, if you just raise your hand where you're sitting, just raise it up. I see those hands. Absolutely. I see those hands. I see those hands. You know, God's an amazing God. He loves us. He treats us with so much respect and love. And it's because he wants us to return it to him. He's incredible. We can put our hands down and we'll pray. Lord, you've seen these hands. I've seen these hands. Lord, it's, it's a position I've been in in my life. Lord, the, the struggles that we have giving everything to you. I pray, Lord, that you would just come into these people's hearts right now, that your Holy Spirit will overwhelm them so much that they know it's directly from you with confirmation that you want to help them get that appetite in line. Lord, they're looking to, to follow you and be closer to you and strengthen their relationship with you. And Lord, we pray that you would allow this to happen, that not only you would allow this, Lord, but you would orchestrate it in such a fashion, Lord, that there is no denying it that your hand is in their life. I praise you, Lord, for your incredible love this morning and every day. I thank you, Lord, for allowing you to be God and you wanting to be God of my life in our lives. And I pray, Lord, that you would just bless everybody that raised their hand and everybody that didn't this morning, that you would bless them with your incredible presence. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Thanks again for tuning in today. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can check us out online at rlcbr.org. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast in the iTunes store or your podcast feed. We love you, and remember to always reach up, reach in, and reach out. Have a great week.